Today's topic is how to get ahead in your career on corporate boards and in public policy with Catherine Allen, a corporate executive who was once told she couldn't get a company credit card because she was still of reproductive age. Um, okay, listen up well women, this is not a show you want to miss. Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you feeling burned out or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or are you in transition? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate our superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated and they include empathy, love, intuition, courage, and more. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. Today's topic is how to get ahead in your career on corporate boards and in public policy. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to decide what you want, put your intentions out to the world, and take that calculated risk you've been considering. My guest today is Catherine Allen. For more than 30 years, Catherine has been a leader in business innovation, technology strategy, and financial services. Today, Catherine is chairman and CEO of the Santa Fe Group, a strategic advisory services company based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. They specialize in briefings to C-level executives and boards of directors at financial institutions and other critical infrastructure companies in the areas of cybersecurity, emerging technologies, and risk management. In this episode, Kathy and I talk about the three areas to focus on when supporting women in leadership, how many women on a board you need in order to make a difference, and how to get on a corporate board in the first place, and what expertise you need to do it. The free giveaway today is Kathy's Circle of Trust Worksheet. I really like this giveaway because it helps you identify people in your life that can support you in three different important areas. You can get the free Circle of Trust Worksheet at wellwomanlife.com slash 072 show. And you can catch her talk about reinventing your life at the Women's International Study Center workshop on July 8th at 9 a.m. You can go to wellwomanlife.com slash 072 show for all the links mentioned on today's show. Before we begin, I want to let you know about some exciting events coming up. I'll be in the UK this summer with free events in London, July 17th, and in Oxford, July 19th. So if you're in that area, definitely register for these events at wellwomanlife.com slash events. It's free to register, and I definitely would love to meet you and visit with you. 
Um, in August, I'll be in LA at Podcast Movement presenting on the virtual ticket on how to rock your remote events. So if you are a podcaster, if you are interested in podcasting, definitely check out wellwomanlife.com slash podcast movement for more info. And this year's superpower retreat will be October 26th and 27th in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. So save the date for that. We uh, spend two days activating your superpowers. It's absolutely transformational and amazing. And we have a fantastic uh, keynote this year, Vera DeChalembert, who was featured at Marianne Williamson's Sister Giant Conference earlier this year. She'll be there. Um, check out the events page on the website for more info on that. And you can also continue the conversation with us and with me in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. So come on over and meet me inside there to uh, let me know what you're working on. Now I'm excited to introduce you to and share my interview with Kathy Allen. Now, before I bring on my guest, as always, this episode is brought to you by Well Woman Life, a global community of women living our best lives. Whether it's your health, relationships, your money, or making an impact in your community and the world, Well Woman Life has you covered. You've made a commitment to not settle, to use your voice, and to live your best life. Well Woman Life offers annual memberships, workshops, and retreats to support you. Check out wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our growing community. I'm speaking today with Kathy Allen. Welcome to the program, Kathy. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. Um, it's great to have you. And I want to start by having you tell listeners what you're working on and how it impacts women's lives and well-being. All right. Uh, and that's a good question. It made me think about how it impacts women. My, my, uh, career right now. I'm chairman and CEO of a company called the Santa Fe Group, which is uh, primarily in strategy and best practices around cybersecurity and uh, vendor risk management or third-party risk. So a third of my time is spent on that. A third of my time is spent being on corporate boards. And a third of my time is in uh, being on boards of nonprofit organizations. And in all of those, there's a link for um, helping women. Um, I, let me say that my passion is to get more women into senior uh, executive positions, more women on corporate boards, and more women in public policy, because it's a way that we can influence the livelihoods, um, not just to, of women, but our families, uh, and I think um, a, a better world. Mm. Um, I, when I look at what I've done for women, or the focus on women, I even go back to University of Missouri, which is where I did my undergraduate work. I was in retailing at a time when um, women weren't in business. In fact, I was the only woman in the business school at that time. Um, when I went into retailing, uh, it was because there were opportunities for women to be senior executives. There were CEOs of, of uh, Bonwit Teller, and there were women that were in senior positions. And I always felt like it was important to be a, um, a uh, mentor and, in many ways, a leader of showing that women could do things that, at the time, were not necessarily normal or perceived as even possible. Um, and a couple of things in retelling, I... 
I, one of the places I worked, uh, they told me they could not give me a credit card. Mind you, I was an executive at the company, and they couldn't give me a credit card because I was of pregnable age. And I challenged that and got that changed as a policy within uh, the company. And then another was well, that they- Hold on a second. That I just have to... <laughs> <laughs> that I, I I've heard a lot in in all my interviews and and conversations, but I I haven't I haven't actually heard about that where you couldn't get a credit card for your for your company because that's you right. were you were still in your reproductive age. That's right, mm-hmm. and this was in the uh, early seventies. Now the Equal Pay Act and the Equal Credit Act passed in the 70s, which made it easier for women to get credit cards. But at that time, you had to get a credit card in your husband's name. I was married at the time. If you were single, you could not get a credit card. And uh, again, uh, in my logic with the company, this was at uh, Woodward and Lothrop, which was a large department store in Washington, D.C. I said, well, you know, I work for you. And if I didn't pay off the credit card, you could garnish my wages because you know where I work. So it doesn't make sense that you, you know, will not give me a credit card yet. You know, I'm managing multi-million dollar budgets for you as an executive. And they said, oh, yeah. So they changed the policy for uh, everyone in the organization. But uh, again, when you look back on the history of women's rights, it's a very short history. Uh, so the, in the 70s was the first time that women were allowed to have their own credit card or have a credit card outside of their husband's name. And it also is where the Equal Pay Act came in. Although, as you know, today, we still have a long ways to go on that. Mm. Yes. Wow. So I want to ask you a few things about what you just said. Um, the first one is, how difficult, I just think it's so interesting that um, policies and procedures inside companies and institutions and structures and society are often, you know, behind the times, right? They just don't catch up with what's actually happening with reality. Um, and your yours is case in point. You were you were managing multi-million dollars of, of money for them as an executive, but you couldn't, you know, that they had this policy in place that you couldn't get this credit card. So you had them change that. How how did that um how easy was that to do? And and was it was it simply a matter of bringing it to their attention and then them saying, oh, whoops, yeah, we really need to update that policy? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it, 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 I'm certainly in my career, I've had examples where they didn't want to change something because there actually was bias and prejudice. But in some cases, it was just, it, it's sort of this, uh, the word unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. People don't think they're biased, but then they just have certain predispositions or thoughts that, you know, women play in this role or women can't manage money or, you know, women aren't the breadwinners. And, and of course, the reality of the world challenged that. But it, 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 I was able to make the change. And this goes back to my passion about why we need more women in senior executive positions on boards and in public policy. Because I was an executive, they listened to me. It's kind of hard to you know, take a buyer for the store mm-hmm. who's managing money and making money for the store and the, and and say, yeah, I'm not going to give you a credit card. So women have to be in positions of some power 
before they can negotiate on behalf of other women. Yeah. And um, and that, you know, that's that's why those in the 70s, which is when you started to see women move towards business positions, because frankly, when I graduated from high school, my uh, guidance counselor, I was a National Merit Scholar 4.0 valedictorian. And my um, the guidance counselor, who happened to be the football coach, number one, thought women shouldn't go to college. And if they did, they should go to a teacher's college. And so he thought I should only be a teacher or a nurse or a secretary. And they, you know, you're, you're looking at, you're leaving half the talent, you know, behind if you're not having women get educated. So having, you have to be uh, a leader, women have to be a leader, and they still have to, because there's many issues, you know, many issues still out there, many prejudices that are there. Um, but you, a woman has to be in a, and women need to work together in some position of power before you can get them to listen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's not, it's not always enough to just have one woman in, in the executive position or on the corporate board or in public policy, but it's actually, you need to have lots of women or at least a group of women, right? So that they can work together. So is that, is that what you're working on and, and how, yeah, let's talk talk about that. It is. And, and I, and you make a good point because again, this is a a difference maybe in the demographics or the, the millennials versus Gen X versus uh, the boomers. And I'm a boomer. Um, You do have to work together. And uh, for instance, in research, one of the nonprofits that I'm involved with, I, I sit on the board of the Women Corporate Directors. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to get more women onto corporate boards and to get them um, uh, to educate them and to get them into power positions, chairing committees. And I am co-chair of the Women um, Corporate Directors New Mexico. We have a chapter here in New Mexico with about 33 members uh, that sit on corporate boards. Well, we did study with Har- uh, studies with Harvard on this, and it's been um, uh, uh, verified by other studies. Three or more women on a board make a difference, and there's a correlation. If you can have three, one's a token, two is you know a, a you know a, a team, but having three or more makes it mainstream. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, State Street investors, uh, Catalyst, McKinsey. Uh, Morgan Stanley all have done studies in the last year and a half that show there's a correlation between economic performance, reputational risk, all to the positive, if there's three or more women on the board. Hmm. So again, um, one of the differences, I think, between some of the younger generations is because when you all came through uh, and even today in colleges or in business programs or law school, it's at least 50 percent women, maybe more. So you have not yet reached that glass ceiling where there start to be unconscious bias or prejudices mm. um, against women. And it's why boomers tend to work together as groups, whether it's you know executive women's forum or women corporate directors um, to try to support women and bring women along many of the millennials and Gen Xers don't yet see why that's necessary because individually they've been able to do well so far. Mm -hmm. But it's when you make that break to get into middle and upper middle management and then to the C-suite that a lot of these prejudices or unconscious bias come in. And that's where you need to, to really work with other women and men who support women 
um, to make those changes. Yes. And so let's talk specifically because I know that we, we hear a lot about women rising to executive positions and, and women in public policy, but we don't hear as much about corporate boards. And so I want you to just dive in a little bit about how how do women start that journey? I mean, who who's qualified to be on a corporate board and, and how does so, someone start doing that? All right. And the excellent question, because again, when I was in uh, the, my corporate experience, I, I worked at CBS, at Dun & Bradstreet, and at Citicorp in New York. Um, I wasn't even aware that my, I, I knew we had a corporate boards, but they were all men, white men. Uh, and I did not know really anything about a woman being able to be on a board. And it wasn't until I um, was lucky when I was at uh, Citicorp um, I was uh, asked to be on a Canadian board um, that um, on behalf of uh, our former CEO, Walter Riston, and uh, he asked me to be on that board. And and that was my first experience of being on a corporate board. It was a Canadian company, but they were on a um, public exchange. And that opened my eyes to not only what corporate boards were like, how they worked, uh, the influence that they had on a company. And then um, later I went on to a couple of technology uh, corporate boards because, again, I have a technology, um, I'm, I'm not an engineer, but I have a, a business background, but with a specialty in emergency, emerging technologies and cybersecurity and mobile and things like that. I went on to a couple of private company boards, and the more that I learned, the more that I saw that there were that's where the real power was to change the strategy or influence uh, the policies within the companies. Mm. And um, Women Corporate Directors, as I mentioned, I'm on that board, is a international organization. We have about uh, 68 chapters in uh, all over the world. Um, it's women who sit on public companies or privately held companies, but that are a billion or, or more in revenues. And how women get onto that, when, when boards are looking for uh, women, and I, I sit currently on the El Paso Electric Board, um, which is based in El Paso, Texas. I sit on the Sonovas Financial Board, which is based in Columbus, Georgia, uh, Regional Financial. I sit on um, the um, Analytics Pros Board, which is a privately held company based in Seattle, but in data, um, data analytics. And I, in the past, I said on the Stuart title uh, board and on uh, NBS technologies. Well, first of all, they want you to be a C-suite, a CEO or a CFO or having that title behind you, which I have had. They um, also are looking for specific expertise, emerging technologies or cyber is one of the re in risk management is a sought after uh, capability, and that's one of the ones uh, that I have. Uh, they look for uh, people that know an industry. Um, but to get on the board, there are you know, uh, executive recruiters that will help get some women onto boards. By and large, it's still networking and knowing people who sit on corporate boards. And again, that's what WCD, we refer uh, to boards, women that are capable or meet the requirements of being on the, um, on a corporate board. You have a fiduciary responsibility, so you need to understand finance. Uh, you need to understand the industry. You need to understand um, and whatever the skill sets that you bring, and um, and also just 
you know, be smart about things. And again, I find having women on the board, we, we think about risk differently than men. We think about, um, as the stakeholders, meaning the employees and the mm. customers, much more than men tend to think about that. And we bring that to the party so that it, it again, why some of the successful financial performance of companies, because you really do need to pay attention to those things, uh, is correlated with having women on that board. Mm. Okay. Those are great. That's a great introduction to that. And, um, there's just a lot, uh, a lot there, but I want to also talk about your, you do a lot of writing too. You have a couple of books, um, mm-hmm. re- a few books, Reboot Your Life and The Retirement Boom. And so how do these books fit in with everything you just talked about? So uh, let me go back just quickly, because your first question was about women in, in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, after my corporate life, which again, I, I played a role as a role model. And oftentimes, like I was the first woman uh, assistant vice president in Dun & Bradstreet's history. And uh, so always I've either been a role model or a mentor to bring other women along. Uh, I've been involved in, in outside um, trade associations or professional associations. And then I said for uh, 10 years, I was the CEO of BITS, which was a financial services roundtable technology arm and, and dealt with the CEOs of the hundred largest financial institutions. Again, my staff were at least half female. Um, I had, uh, I belonged to external organizations that supported women in finance and women in financial services and banking um, and got an award for that. And then I, I got involved in outside women's organizations like the Executive Women's Forum, which is made up of senior women in technology across industries, also in women corporate directors, another group called the Belizean Grove, which is sort of a network of women. And then I got involved in public policy behind the scenes, supporting women candidates, supporting um, uh, policy that impacted women. So all the way through, and, and I actually had a stint when I was teaching, I was an academic for a while at American University in George Washington, Um, But I also taught at Marymount College and Mount Vernon's College, which at the time were women's colleges, and again, served as a role model, helped develop uh, programs that supported women being in business. And so my whole career has been that way. So jump to the writing. Uh, When I was at Citibank, um, I met Julia Cameron and, um, uh, and actually brought Julia and Mark uh, Bryan to a meeting with Citibank executives because part of my responsibility was uh, how to create a more innovative and creative environment for employees at Citi. And And just um, for listeners, um, Julia Cameron is the author of The Artist's Way, and she's been on this show, actually. I interviewed her a while back. Excellent. She's she's terrific. She's been a – I mean, talk about a role model and her book, The Artist's Way – sold over 100 million copies. Well, anyway, Julia and Mark and I then wrote a book together called The Artist's Way at Work. And that was focused on, that was my first book back when I was at City, and uh, focused on um, how we're all creative in our environment, whether you're a marketer or an account accountant, or we all are creative and have ways of expressing that creativity. And most of the time I would write the books when I was traveling on business on an airplane. So that was my first book. I also did a, a book on smart card technology when I was at Citibank, 
which was sort of a compendium of um, uh, emerging thought around that technology. And then uh, in this Belizean Grove, this women's organization, I met these other women, all of whom had, we all had taken sabbaticals. And so we decided to write a book and felt it was very important, the correlation between creativity and productivity and sense of well-being. So we wrote, we researched 500 people and about 50 companies and wrote Reboot Your Life, which was about um, taking time off, giving yourself the gift of time and taking time off to be ready for the next chapter of your life. And when we, we, we do retreats, and in doing that, we do four a year, we found out a lot of 50, 60, 70 year olds who said, I'm not ready to retire. I really, I have much more to give. And so that's what was the genesis of the book, Revolutionary Retirement, which then became the retirement boom. Mm. And again, all my writing is on when I'm on airplanes because it's a quiet time to do it. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, you, you definitely um, have... Uh, a lot, a lot to say here about about women in in work and in in executive positions. And then I love that you switch gears here and say, you know, it's okay to take some some time out too. Did, have Absolutely. did you did you do that? I did. I took a year sabbatical and traveled in Asia uh, in 1985. I took six months. In uh, uh, nineteen, uh, no, in two thousand seven, actually to work in a political campaign and to renovate in, in, uh, my house, and I've taken uh, other one month or three month sabbaticals. I'm, I'm it, it, people say I can't do it, but let me tell you, it's the best thing that you can do for yourself, giving yourself that time off to think about what you want to do next. And now you. You did that when you worked for a company or you did that when you worked for yourself? Um, in the year off, I took um, between, I was teaching at American University in the graduate business school mm. and I took a year off because I knew I wanted to make the change into the corporate world. So that year um, when, uh, when I came back, I went to work for Dun & Bradstreet. And in fact, they had saved a job in strategic planning for me. When I left on my sabbatical, I had written these people that I had done consulting for, and I said, I'm going to be off for a year, but when I come back, I'm going to be looking to move into the corporate world, and please keep me in mind, and I'll let you know, you know as I'm coming back. And then about a month before I uh, was, uh, came back from the sabbatical, I wrote what I had learned and, and went back to the, there were about four companies that I had sent this to and said that, um, you know, I'll be back at a certain date. Well, it turned out that Dun & Bradstreet held a job for me in strategic planning in this emerging technologies area because they felt that if I had the guts enough, the courage to take off mid-career to do this, that I was the kind of out-of-the-box thinker they wanted. And mm. so uh, when I got back, I had a job offer in New York um, at you know, twice what I was making teaching um, and to come uh, work in strategic planning for this talking yellow pages business. My dissertation had been on the divestiture of AT&T and the impact that was going to have on information and uh, financial services. Um, so anyway, so it, it was a good result. Um, the six months I took off, I was um, uh, working for bits and I arranged to take off that six months. And then the one month there are three months times I've taken off have mostly been when I've been um, uh, either um, 
had my own company, the Santa Fe Group, mm-hmm. and I can kind of take time uh, because I have a fabulous woman COO who runs it day to day, Robin Slade. Oh, okay. I think the lesson here, or at least the takeaway for listeners might be that, uh, you know, you, when you decide what you want, you put it out there and you go for it and the, the world or the universe or the community responds, you know, so you, you, you put it out there and then, and the world responded to you. So some, sometimes we're scared to do that, but I think um, on this show, we're really encouraging women to, to go for it. <laughs> you know? let's, let's do it. Now it's time for our segment called superpowers for success. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Being a well woman includes being financially healthy. Our sponsors, Lorraine L. and Kate Stalter of Better Money Decisions, are on a mission to eliminate complexity and confusion from your financial life. They replace Wall Street jargon with straightforward talk you can understand. And they create investment and retirement plans customized for your needs and your future. Download a free copy of their latest book, Don't Let Your Money Kick the Bucket Before You Do, and learn how to avoid the biggest mistakes women make when planning for retirement. Go to bettermoneydecisions.com slash wellwoman and download your free book today. The first one is, what does success in life mean for you? So uh, I would say there's three or four things, but they all relate to each other. One is making a difference, really making a difference, serving others uh, in making that difference, uh, having good friends and relationships and love, um, giving back. Uh, They all relate to both relationships and feeling like you're making, you're giving back. Uh, And it goes back to a philosophy I have and, and came from my family of, you know, you're, you are um, fortunate to have whatever skills or knowledge or upbringing that you have and that you have an obligation and a responsibility to give back. Mm. And that's what truly makes you successful. It's not how much money you make or, you know, how many awards you get. It's really that feeling of giving back and, and, and being thankful and grateful for what you have and then serving up others. Mm. And Kathy, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Um, I think the, and it's a hard word to say compartmentization, compartment, uh, being able to compartmentize my life. And if people, they always say to me, I mean, I'm quite busy and I'm on, involved in a number of different things. I travel often and they say, how do you do it? And I said, well, I'm able to compartmentize. I can be, you know, really intense and in the moment at whatever meeting I'm at or whatever, you know, I'm working on at that project at that time. I, the same way with my family, my children, my grandchildren, I can be in the moment and with them. And um, I do it in an old fashioned way in the sense I have literally file folders of everything I need to know about, you know, an upcoming trip to Ireland or a, uh, you know, meeting that I am having at a corporate board. And I'm able to pull it together and not think of other things, not be distracted, but just be in the moment at that time. And I think very busy people and successful people have to be able to do that. I I always had that. I just didn't know what it was called and realize how valuable it was until I got into my corporate life. That's so interesting because compartmentalizing is definitely necessary for, for what you're talking about. And, and at the same time, it's also about integrating things uh, so that 
you know, you can be a grandma and a mom and a CEO and all of these things all together, but compartmentalizing it really helps focus in the moment. That's exactly right. And, and you have to, and you can be all those roles you, and, and, but you just have to be able to focus, you know, on where you are at that time. I would say another skill set that I have, and I think it's very common to women and it's something they need to spend more time developing. And that is, I, I've always been able to see things before other people could. And I call it intuition or listening or just observing or integrating was a word you use. I've been able to see how things might evolve or what's going to happen. And I think women have that capability. Part of it is actually when you're looking at neuroscience, the hormones, the way they go across our brain is different than the way men's brains uh, work. They tend to think more, more you, you, I can't say the word, unilaterally, and they tend to be very focused in one topic. Yeah. Women can be very strategic and can think about bringing in different parts uh, of uh, their brain, as well as different aspects, aspects and risks and so forth. So being able to see and depend upon your intuition and trusting that intuition is very important. And Kathy, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Um, to be more confident, uh, to take more calculated risks, just what you were saying the show does. And then uh, lastly, to get into public policy. God knows that what's going on in the world today, if we had more women um, in Congress and in senior public policy positions, I don't think we'd be in the mess that we're in. And do you identify as a feminist? I do. And I I think it's a good word. Again, many people, you know, there's been a uh, criticism of it, but I am a feminist. That means that I am for those things that help women get ahead. Mm. Okay. And last question, Kathy, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Uh, well, I, I get, I, this goes back to my, uh, what I was saying, my ability to do many things at one time and compartmentize. I have three books on my, and I'm reading in all three. One is a uh, historical fiction, Mississippi Blood by Greg Isles. He's a fabulous writer. He writes historical, historical fiction, takes place in Natchez, Mississippi. But it's about the civil rights movement, and mm. it goes back and forth between the 60s and now, and, and it's frightening. Um, all the all the historical facts are are facts, but then he weaves it into a novel. Um, a second is a friend of mine, Richard Clark, Dick Clark, who was a cybersecurity czar and a national security expert. There's a new book out called Warnings, and it's about Cassandra's people that warn us about like 9-11 or Katrina or the Iraq war, but we're not paid attention to. And how do we start listening to those people about potential um, problems that we have in the future. So that's more of a business oriented where Mississippi blood is historical and and sort of social justice. And then I have another friend, Cornell um, Spears Lopez, who has a new book out called Design Your Life. And it's a self-improvement self. It it tells she was the president of Ikea and it talks about some of her career changes. Mm. And I'm always interested in that because I think you can learn more and see other people's perspectives at how their life has evolved. So it's, um, those are the three books I've got. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Okay. N- nice uh, range of, of um, light reading there, right? <laughs> uh, well, Kathy, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I want to thank you so much. Well, thank you. I, I, I will be speaking about reinventing your life um, at an upcoming uh, Women in International Studies uh, Center program on uh, July 8th. It's um, in Washington. Um, uh, Santa Fe. But it, I'm going to bring in some of these topics there because I think as people, we have to continually reinvent ourselves and reinvent our lives and our careers. And um, some of the topics and the questions you've asked me are just about that. Okay, great. So July 8th, and we'll link to that on the show notes on the website, wellwomanlife.com. And um, so people can find more information about you and about uh, about your speaking uh, there. And um, thank you so much, Kathy. It's been such a pleasure. Well, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wellwomanlife. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.